Well, hey folks, Jeff Salzman here. Welcome to the Daily Evolver. And a special welcome to those of you who are tuning in live through the various Integral Life portals. And as always, thank you so much, Integral Life, for hosting me lo these many years. So today I wanted to take a look at a movie that I saw over the weekend that I just hated. It's called Pig. And it is apparently an effective comeback vehicle for Nicolas Cage. And it is the work of a first-time director and writer, filmmaker, Michael Sarnowski. And let me first say that I am very much the outlier on this movie, at least critically, where it has a 97% approval rating from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. 97%. That's pretty much everybody, and 83% approval from the viewers. So, you know, I, I had to stop there when I saw those numbers, because that's interesting, right? I mean, what is it that a vast majority of people who are seeing this movie, including professional critics who know all about movies, what are they seeing that I'm not? What receptors do they have that I'm not? that I don't. And I must say, it made me reconsider this movie that I would have just otherwise written off as being shockingly bad. And I don't think that anymore, actually. I think that it's not a bad movie. It may, be a, it, it may even be a great movie. If you like your nihilism served up as ugly as possible. And I don't. And I realize that probably says a, as much about me as it does about the movie. And that's, you know, from a self-critical standpoint, we always want to be looking, you know, why do I feel this way? And I realize that, you know, personally, I just hate ugly nihilism. You know, I, I, I like beautiful nihilism, and I'll get to a couple examples of that in a minute. But... I do realize that ugly nihilism is an absolutely legitimate aesthetic. And again, this may be a beautiful example of it. I think it is actually. And I would say that from an integral perspective, it is located at the very end of first tier. <laughs> first tier is just sort of wrung itself out. And we're in advanced post-modernity here. We are at deconstruction at its platonic perfection, you know, establishing once and for all, with no doubt, that there is nothing good, true, or beautiful to be found anywhere. And if that's the message that lights you up, and it's a final stage in the path, I think, maybe, then this is your movie. So anyway, I knew almost nothing about the movie before I went. A friend and I were just basically looking for a movie to go to the theater and have that experience. I, I did know that it was about um, Nicolas Cage being a truffle hunter, hunting the mushrooms in the woods um, with his truffle pig. And that his pig is kidnapped and that it was not your typical kind of revenge movie. So that did sound kind of interesting, and I knew it was getting good reviews. 
So I went and I was sitting there and I was ready to go. And for starters, um, I realized that maybe it was just the first couple scenes. It turned out to be the whole movie. It was hideously dark. And I don't mean thematically, I mean literally. I mean, just from a filmmaking point of view, they should have issued flashlights to us as we entered the theater. I mean, you just couldn't see what was going on. It was just dark. And that is often a feature of the postmodern aesthetic. Darkness, again, literal, not thematic, <laughs> for its own sake. It just it adds to the confusion. It's this artistic transmission that you can't really see what's going on, you know, which is the nature of life. But it's not about mystery, which is fertile. It's just about dissolution, you know, this dystopian kind of ugliness. And that's how the movie unfolded for me. It was just ugly upon ugly upon ugly. And, you know, again, for starters, you know, the first scene, a pig rooting in mud isn't the most pleasant kind of scene, uh, but I'm fine with it. I was at least, I, I, I realized that's what they're doing. And then there's Nicolas Cage and his filthy hands and his stringy hair and his stained clothes. And then he goes back to his disheveled cabin and his filthy mattress. And you realize filthy is a big theme here. And I literally feel my subtle body contract in disgust. You know what I mean? That energetic ugh, contraction of ugh. And, you know, so a response is being evoked. <laughs> and that is the point of art and certainly movies. But at some point, I feel like I'm just being evoked. I'm, I'm being milked. I'm being, my nervous system is being tweaked for disgust. And disgust, of course, is a deep, deep structure in human beings. It's one of like fear. It's one of the things where if you see maggots or you see something rotted, that you're disgusted so that you stay away from it and you don't get poisoned and so forth. And this is evolutionarily potent. So it does tweak a deep structure. But, um, you know, again, at some point I started resenting it. And I think the point, well, there was a couple things. One is in the pig kidnapping scene, Nicholas Cage is conked over the head with a metal pipe by the kidnapper, so you don't see. He's knocked unconscious. And he wakes up with dried blood all over his face, fair enough, only he doesn't wash it off. He not only doesn't wash it off that day, he goes on this journey into the city and he never washes it off, the whole movie, which goes on for days. So every time you look at him, disgust, revulsion, you know, this primal response. And I think the turning point for me was a scene where the sidekick character goes to see his mother, a woman who, like him, is a victim of his rich, evil father. Evil, why? Well, we don't know exactly. Everything in this movie comes out of nowhere because Green deconstructs story and meaning and shit just happens. You know, that's a, that's a green aesthetic. It's like even the title of the movie, Pig, P-I-G. 
you know, fun. it's kind of catchy, it's kind of fun, but it's not <clears throat> what happened to my pig or come back little porky or I don't know what. It's just, you know, that sort of thing comes out of nowhere. So anyway, the sidekick of the main character is walking tentatively up to the upstairs room of his mother in this big mansion. And again, I'm thinking, would somebody just turn on a light? But at any rate, he gets to the room and it's all very impressionistic, but you see that there's machines and attendants in white clothes. And you realize that it's a hospital room and that his mother is in there. And you think, okay, this is significant. <laughs> but of course, it isn't really, you know, it goes nowhere. And I think the only thing that is said in the whole scene is when a nurse turns to the sidekick character and whispers to him, and again, you can barely hear it, you can barely hear anything, but she whispers, I'll have to clean her trach. And again, I felt my body contract in disgust. And, you know, I have to clean her trach. And I thought, fuck you, movie. You know, I'm tired of being tweaked. So again, um, you know, it's not to say, you know, I, I talk about that this movie is ugly nihilism. And I think ugly nihilism is its own category. I think ugly can be a very powerful and paradoxically beautiful aesthetic. And I think nihilism can actually be conveyed beautifully in a way that has an artistic impact. And that's what I would say is good green. I'd make that distinction. Postmodern art does its, is at its best when it is challenging these conventional ideas of beauty. And it's like the Saatchi Museum in London. I've done an episode on it. But the whole museum is about this aesthetic of, I dare you to say this isn't beautiful. And it does actually widen our circle of what we consider beautiful. And that is, that's evolutionary progress. I think of a, another movie that came out this year uh, that got an Oscar nomination for best documentary called Crip Camp, C-R-I-P, Crip Camp. And it is about a camp in the 70s for young people with physical, I could feel myself being heartened as I actually talk about and refeel, refeel this movie. It's, a, it's this camp for young people with physical disabilities. And yes, some of them are on tubes and trachs and these wheelchairs. And you see them unabashedly with the lights on outside in the sunshine. And yes, at first when I would see these characters, I felt a revulsion, you know, a pity. It's a very natural human thing. You know, it's conditioned mind, conditioned response. And that does need to be reconstructed for us to move forward. And that's what this movie does. I mean, very quickly, one sees that these young people are as alive and passionate and loving, and they love their lives and they have hopes and dreams for their futures as much as anybody else does. And it was a remarkable thing. And I left with my consciousness raised from the movie Crip Camp. I recommend it. After, <laughs> after Pig, 
I felt that my consciousness was lowered. I was a worse person for having seen this movie. Um, let me give you another example. And this is um, an example of what I consider to be beautiful nihilism. And this is from the movie Blade, well, the whole movie, Blade Runner. And both, actually both Blade Runners. But this is the first one, 1982. And it is, I remember it. It was just this fresh aesthetic, so exciting, so thrilling, and so dystopian. You know, this future urban dystopia where there are human beings and then there are what they call replicates, which are created and built by human beings, but they're almost indistinguishable from human beings. And Rutger Hauer plays, a German actor, plays the lead uh, replicant. And this is, um, this is from his death scene, which is uh, often considered the most beautiful death scene in cinema. I heard it described, and I, I couldn't find a better one, I'll tell you. And he's dying, and he is with Harrison Ford, who's the lead in the movie. I can't play much because YouTube gets all excited, but um, I'm going to play a little piece of it, and I'll lead up. And he, so he, he's talking to Harrison Ford, and he says, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shores of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannenhauer Gate. And then he says, and I'll share screen. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. I still get worked up over that scene. Amazing. All those moments will be lost in the time, like tears in the rain. Time to die. You know, nothing going on. It all fades away. Nihilistic in that way, but dripping with meaning. And, um, you know, so I offer that in contrast. And then another example of what I would consider a great green work of art, completely deconstructive and nihilistic in a beautiful way, is the, and this is from the Saatchi Museum in London, and there's a whole series there, uh, the sculptures, series of sculptures by the artist Damien Hirst. And uh, one of the most famous is the shark suspended in a tank of formaldehyde that is now over one of the fancy bars in Las Vegas. <laughs> but the one that struck me the most, and that is actually quite apropos the critique of this movie, is one called, This Little Piggy Went to Market, This Little Piggy Stayed Home. And I'll show it to you. So you'll see it if you're seeing the video, but I'll describe it. What it is, is a large adult pig that has been perfectly and meticulously sawed in two from snout to tail, lap, just right down the middle, with every organ in place, suspended in a glass tank of formaldehyde. And you see it from both angles, split in two. 
And it is so impactful in that it shows the sort of clinical way that we deal with animals. It's just right in your face. And the really literally billions of animals that are killed every year. That This is a commercial pig, adult pig. And then for me, it also, uh, the question of this pig, this, this, this particular pig that was a little piglet at his mother's teats and who ran around and played with his brothers and sisters and grew up to be an adult pig. And here this pig is uh, for us to view in this most uh, violating and clinical way. I mean, it, it, it's just one of my favorite works of art. Uh, the whole museum is full of things like that. And this is, again, the best of green because it evokes empathy and, um, and bring, and again, enlarges the circle of our moral compassion to include more things. This is, you know, the basics of evolutionary progress. But I didn't get that from Pig, I got to tell you. Uh, the other couple things I wanted to mention, uh, and I'll close this down here, but, um, it, you know, Nicolas Cage is being lauded for his performance, and everybody agrees. I don't hear, haven't heard anybody critique it except me. <laughs> and I guess I'd start by um, sharing a, a bit from a review by Barry Hertz, who's one of the top critics on Rotten Tomatoes. He's from the Globe and Mail. And he wrote something that I think is, is right. He said, Cage offers something genu genuinely special, a perfect performance, and one which could not exist without every other performance that the actor has ever delivered. Okay, so you got to take into account his whole career to really appreciate this particular role. Fair enough. I mean, I have not taken Nicolas Cage into account for many years. I, I remember loving him, of course, who didn't love him in Moonstruck. And even leaving Las Vegas, fantastic. I thought also a nihilistic movie, um, but uh, opened the heart. And I know that he became kind of a Hollywood joke in, in the last decades because he would literally do anything for the money and he was over the top and he was overacting and he was known for that. And so here he is coming back to this story, and this story itself, to the degree that there is one, is the story of this character, uh, this truffle hunter's rejection of fame, money, appearance, success, his, his extracting himself from the capitalist star-making machinery, you know? And so this, Nicolas Cage is doing this himself by doing this so-called small movie, and, you know, and but he's not overacting, uh, please. I mean, I wish he would give us a little overacting. Actually, there are a couple flashes. It's like the only thing <laughs> he's really allowed to transmit is anger. You know, at one point, his sidekick asks him, why are you so uh, obsessed by this pig? And Nicholas's, Nicholas Cage's answer after the long, portentous silence, which is between every, you know, it's everywhere in this movie, is this, you know, again, this silence where your nervous system is going to say something. But after this long silence, he says, because I loved her. And it's like, 
you could have fooled me. Uh, it's, it's like one of the, the, the first laws of screenwriting is show, don't tell. This was a v bad violation of that. But, you know, the, the pig was not even in the movie. There was, the, there was no sense of actual love. He fed her in one scene with his blank affect. And he went to all kinds of extremes to extract some retribution, I guess. I couldn't quite follow the plot. <laughs> Honestly, um, but um, did he love her? I don't know, you know. But the, the, as I said a minute ago, I think at least the, the 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 one emotion he was occasionally allowed was anger. In these revenge movies, there's always the moment where the protagonists—it's like Mel Gibson, "Give me back my daughters." You know, it's a famous line. I forget which movie. Or there's this new revenge, sort of spoofy revenge movie called Nobody. And I'm forgetting the actor's name, but he goes to the bad guys and he says, give me back my fucking kitty cat bracelet. And at one point, um, <laughs> it's very funny. At one point, Nicolas Cage is permitted to go, give me back my fucking pig. You know, now I just did that. Give me four more takes. I could have done it as well as he did. I, whatever. So, you know, if, if an inarticulate blank affect is great acting, then okay, he did great acting. But I don't know, you kind of had to be there. <laughs> I, I wasn't in the way that is required. And I gotta say, there's one other thing that bothered me a lot about his performance, if you will. And I don't know what I'm gonna do about this because it bothers me a lot in a lot of performances. And that is these actors who are playing characters who would not have Botox and filler in their face. They just wouldn't. And they do. And you can see uh, Nicolas Cage, he's 57 years old in Hollywood and not a wrinkle on his face. And that's also true in the movie. You know, so that bugged me. I think that's probably me. I'm, you know, they say progress proceeds funeral by funeral. I think people who are bothered like that are just going to have to die out because these, you know, I get that acting, you got to look good and, you know, everybody wants to look good. And there's a, you know, a rising baseline of that where, you know, you at least in the U.S., you know, most kids get their teeth fixed if they're crooked. I probably should have. Uh, and, you know, that sort of thing continues to grow. And I think, you know, if I look at the evolution of humanity, if the if trends that I see continued, I think that we will have most people doing some sort of filler and Botox at some point. I think um, our kids and grandkids will do everything they can to look young as long as they can. And then there will be a stage where we get some sort of pill that will stop aging and we'll go through a couple, probably 100 years or so of the horrors of that. <laughs> we'll realize, oh my God, maybe it's not so bad to have uh, 80 to 100 years or whatever we have uh, in a healthy lifespan. And then I think we'll start hitting the sacred world to come, which I often talk about. And that is where people age, people look their age. We see, it's like Crip Camp. You see what's inside, you see the person, and you see the beauty of the many manifestations of a human lifespan. And you see 
it's like another one that, that, that ruined it for me was Glenn Close playing Mima in Hillbilly Elegy. So she's this redneck matriarch. And I grew up with a lot of redneck matriarchs. And they didn't have any Botox or fillers. I look back on them as the most beautiful, my old aunts, you know, the beautiful women I've ever seen. And that the life in their eyes was made brighter by the age on their face and unabashed. And I loved it. And so I'm, I, I'm, I'm thrown by this. But again, <laughs> I think we'll all get used to it. I'll probably die before I get used to it. But you know, that is the turning world, right? Okay, so that is my critique of pig. I um, personally hated it. <laughs> I could see where this might speak to people who really are at the stage where they just need a complete deconstruction um, and uh, fair enough. So if you want to see Pig, uh, go ahead. But I, I, I'd advise watching the preview on YouTube first and um, seeing if you can <laughs> stand the darkness. Anyway. So that's it for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. What fun it is to do this and to share it with you. Uh, you can check out my stuff on YouTube, Daily Evolver. Uh, subscribe there, Facebook, Twitter. And of course, all my stuff is at thedailyevolver.com. Thanks again for checking in. We'll see you next time. <laughs>